Well, this morning we are continuing a sermon series called A Powerful Force, in which we are considering a biblical view, a biblical perspective of femininity. The goal of this sermon series is to interact with God's Word, to interpret and apply Scripture as it deals with femininity and as it deals with womanhood. And a secondary goal, I've been saying this each week, is that our ladies and young ladies would have new or increased clarity and gratitude and confidence. Clarity, that you would clearly understand who you are as a woman and what God has designed you for. Gratitude, that you would be grateful for who God has made you and what God has designed you for and confidence that you would feel equipped and inspired to do what God has called you to do. So the Bible has been our textbook. And this morning, as you already know, our primary text will be 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. And our subject today will be biblical femininity in marriage. And then next week we will close out this series with a look at biblical femininity and motherhood. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word that you have given to us and remind us, God, that your word is sufficient and enough for everything we need to know about you, about ourselves, about this world, this universe you have us in, and what you require of us and what you have called us to do is your creation. I ask God that you would, especially for all of our gals that are here today, that you would encourage them and that you would embolden them in the calling that you have given them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, would you please open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're using one of the church Bibles that we have for you under a seat in front of you, you'll find that on page 657. These sermons that I've been doing build on one another. And we've had two sermons before this one. So... Let me summarize for you where in the Bible we have been and what we've learned. Our main passages, we've looked at a lot of passages, but our main passages, I would say, have been Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Proverbs 31. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And from those texts, here are some things that we have learned. We have learned that a woman is a created image bearer of God. In fact, men and women are both created image bearers of God. And so they are equal, yet men and women are created distinct. God has made men and women in obvious and unobvious ways. He's made them very different, each to function in accordance with the purpose of God's unique design and ideally to complement one another. And when it comes to creation, though this is not all a woman has been designed for, we've also learned that a woman has been built for help, for hard work, and for glory. So that's where we've been so far. Then on Monday of this past week, I wrote a little blog making two clarifications following last Sunday's sermon. First, in regard to the authority of a husband over his wife, it is just that. Authority of a husband over his wife, not authority of men over women. And this authority that a husband has been given in his marriage is an authority to love and to serve, not to boss and 
push around and make demands and issue edicts. That's not the authority. And then second, in regard to the call for a woman to be homeward oriented, that does not mean that a woman may never leave or work outside the home, but it does mean that any work outside the home must never lead to personal neglect of the home and the people in it. Now, I thought of this this past week and wanted to say it as well. Something you may not be aware of, I often forget, but you might find helpful, especially finding some of, or I should say following some of our more difficult sermons. On our website, under resources, we have a sermon page. On that sermon page, you can find audio for all of our sermons, as well as, beginning with this series, a copy of my sermon manuscript. So that way, you can go back and read exactly what I said, and then take it critically to the Bible. So if you didn't know that's there, it's there. So I have seven points today. We're not going to be having dinner together after this, don't worry. But I do have seven points, and each of them begins with a godly wife is. And the first point, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important. And here it is. Number one, a godly wife is precious and worthy of praise. A godly wife is priceless. She is valuable. Which is why Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Men, if you happen to be married to one of these godly women, you are among a very small minority. That's what that verse just told us. She is hard to find. You think precious jewels are rare and difficult to find? A godly woman is hard to find. And so you should, if you happen to be one of those men, and we have many of them in this church, you should be thanking God for His grace. Not thanking yourself. Your wife is not evidence of you're a great catch. This is not how this works. You should be thanking God because Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains what? Favor or grace from the Lord. So you should be thanking God. But not only should you praise God for your wife, you should praise your wife. This is actually an act of obedience that I... I want to make sure you understand. Yes, you should be thanking God, praising God. You should also praise your wife. Listen to verses 28 through 31 of Proverbs 31. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And how does he praise her? What does he say to her? Verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you, dear, surpass them all. He says, you're the best. You're the best. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a... Woman who fears the Lord, she is what? To be praised. 
Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So there is a a very clear application for our blessed husbands this morning. If you have a godly wife, you better be praising her and then buying her shoes (laughs) or writing her a poem or giving her words of affirmation, whatever it is. For my wife, it's shoes. But whatever it is, not just words, but however you can show her that she is worthy of your praise, make sure you do that. Now, notice, though, I did not say in this first point that a wife is precious and worthy of praise. Unfortunately, that is not the case. A godly wife is precious and worthy of praise. A woman who marries does not automatically become a crown and a jewel, and she is not to be praised because of her position as wife, but because she... According to Proverbs 31, 30, fears the Lord. Which leads to our second point. Number two, a godly wife is something you must become. A godly wife is something that you must become. Married or to be married women, you have to think about what kind of wife you want to be. You basically have two options. You can be a godly wife or you can be an ungodly wife. And the world is filled with godly wives or ungodly wives. But to be a godly wife is not just something that will magically happen to you. If you don't work at this, you will not be the crown of your husband, you will be the second half of Proverbs 12, 4. You will be like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 12, 4 introduces the godly and the ungodly wife. And one is precious. One is worthy of praise. She is the godly wife. And the ungodly wife is like rottenness in his bones. That is strong language. She is like a cancer. Deteriorating him from the inside out. No one, no one in the world has more impact and influence on your husband than you. And you will either be good for him or you'll be terrible for him. A godly wife is something you must become. And it is very hard work. Some wives are quarrelsome. They pick fights in many different ways. And they are like Proverbs 27, 15 says a continual dripping on a rainy day. Drip. 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 Is it over? I think it's over. Drip, drip, drip. You going to do that? Did you do that yet? You going to do it? You didn't forget, did you? You remember, right? You going to do it? You going to do it? 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 It's rottenness. According to Proverbs 14.1, An ungodly woman tears down, this is a sad image, she tears down her home with her own hands. Proverbs 25, 24 says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop. That means in our day, that would be up like in the the corner of the attic. So picture a man crawling up, right, through the attic access and finding the corner of the attic. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in the house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 
Proverbs 21.19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. In other words, that's what these verses say. In other words, while Genesis says it is not good for a man to be alone, being alone is better than living with a woman like this. It's very strong language. So a godly wife, who, as we've said, is precious and worthy of praise, it is something you must become. You must grow in, you must mature in, and it does not happen overnight. Number three, a godly wife is the glory of her husband. A godly wife is the glory of her husband. 1 Corinthians eleven seven. We read this last week, if you weren't here. But woman is the glory of man. She is the lovely one in the marriage. She is beauty and she beautifies and she can and you can do this in a million different ways. In a million different ways. You can make things beautiful. She is translating, think of it this way. She is translating what they believe into something you can see and taste and hear. The husband and wife, they believe things. They believe things about God and about this world. And she has this God-given ability to translate that into something that you can see and taste and hear. Let me give you an example. So a husband and a wife say, God is good. And then you walk into their home and it smells like cookies. This isn't brain surgery. They say, God is good. And then you come into their house and it smells like fresh baked goods. And it could be actual baked cookies. It could be a sensi. Doesn't matter. But, but what you smell agrees with what they believe. N.D. Wilson calls this a, quote, persuasive force, a sort of aesthetic affirmation and enticement to believe what is being said. This is why my wife freaks out when there is a cat turd on the living room floor. That's, it's heresy. That is, that is, that is smelling heresy. It does not fit. She doesn't ignore it. She doesn't leave it. This does not communicate. We can't tell you God is good and God is wonderful and God is beautiful and then invite you into our entryway and have that on the floor. You're not likely to believe what we say. <laughs> Ladies, we said cultivate beauty within and without and around you. You want everything around you that, that you have any control over. And as far as you do, to be an argument for the goodness and beauty of God. And never an argument against the beauty and glory of God. He is gracious and beautiful and kind and God is mighty and he is pure and God is infinitely attractive. And ladies, you preach this through aesthetics. You display the infinite beauty and worth of God. A godly wife is the glory of her husband. Number four, a godly wife is a help to her husband. 
In Genesis 2.18, God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. We see this in Proverbs 31.12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And so, in verse 11 of Proverbs 31, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. So he has confidence. He has confidence in his wife because she does him good. She helps him. She does not hinder him. So that leads to the question, Ladies, how should you help your husband? What does it actually look like to help your husband? Many women, in my experience, don't bother to ask that question. Don't bother to ask the question, how do I help my husband? But rather assume that they know how to be helpful. But many of them, if they were to ask their husbands, am I helpful? And if their husbands were to respond honestly, they would say, not so much. But don't look at your husband right now. (laughs) And I'm not saying ask him that question on the drive home from church. You don't need to ask that question. This is between you and God's word at this point. But consider, in light of God's word, what does it look like to be a helpful, godly wife? So the last three points, because that has us through four, the last three points are going to give you an overview of how to help. And we'll spend more time on the next one than, than any other point this morning. Point number five. And when I say the point, you'll know why we're going to spend more time on it. A godly wife is in submission to her husband. A godly wife is in submission to her husband. We'll spend more time on this because this submission gets a bad rap. This biblical submission of a, of a wife to her husband, it gets a, a bad rap. It's misunderstood a lot, and so then it is resisted. So let me show you this in Scripture, this call for a wife to be submissive to her husband, and then clarify what it is not, and then what it is, and then show you how it is so good and beautiful in a marriage. So let me show you where... The word calls wives to this, and then let's look at what it's not, then what it is, and then why it is so good and beautiful, the submission of a wife to her husband. So first, a wife's submission to her husband in the Bible. Let me just give you three texts, and these are the probably the most famous texts about this. First Peter 3, 1. We read this this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then down in verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. That's one text. Ephesians 5 is another. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then down in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then a third text in Titus 2, verse 4 and 5. Train the younger women to, verse 5, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be Reviled. So there is this call for wives to submit to their husbands. But there are 
many misunderstandings. So let me just say a couple things, what submission is not. And again, there are so many things that we could say here. There are so many ways that this is taken wrong or in the wrong direction or, or too far. And in my notes, under submission is not, I think I had like 10, 10 things. I didn't want the sermon to be about what it's not. So I've just got a couple. But let me give them to you. Number one, submission is not silence. Submission is not silence. A helpful wife speaks. She speaks up. Now her words, according to Proverbs 31, 26, to anyone, they should be governed by a law of kindness. Proverbs 31, 26. But... A helpful wife speaks up to her husband. Some of you wives have no problem with this. Some of you have a big problem with this. So I'm speaking primarily to those of you women who have a problem with this and feel like you should never speak up or don't know when to speak up. And I'm also speaking to those of you husbands who may have promoted or grown up in families that promoted the silence of the wife which is, of course, not biblical. She, the godly wife, will disagree with her husband and say so. She will disagree with her husband sometimes. She will challenge her husband. She will call him out when necessary. She will offer Contrary views. Now, there is a way to do it, which we'll get to in our next point, number six, but she does it. It is one of the ways that she helps her husband. So a husband who has a wife whom he tells or who thinks that submission means silence and she just goes along with everything without ever expressing her own opinions or her own convictions, who doesn't confront him or rebuke him when he is in sin, who never challenges him. There are some women who think that that is how they are supposed to help their husband. And your husband is missing out tremendously. He's missing out tremendously if that is the case. No one, again, can influence him more can help him more, can sharpen him more, can refine him more. No one can be used to a greater degree than his godly wife. And so she is not to sit in the corner quiet. That is not biblical submission of a wife to her husband. And then the second thing submission is not, is submission is not giving in to every demand. Making demands, first of all, is another issue that we talked about last April in a series on godly men. But submission is not giving in to every demand. Let me say it this way. It is not being a doormat. There are amongst many Christians what I would call a doormat understanding of what it means to be a wife. I've bumped into it over and over and over again. Being in submission to your husband is not being a doormat. Let me get more specific. Submission is not giving up. This will make it very practical, I think. Submission is not giving up any court of appeal outside your marriage. And I want you to think about this with me. Being submissive to your husband is not giving up any court of appeal outside your marriage. There is, listen, there is no absolute authority in this world. The only absolute authority is God, the the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the ultimate head of his church. And we are all accountable to him. And we are all under his rule and his leadership. And he is the ultimate authority in our lives. So, husbands, you 
should know this, and wives, I hope you know this, that while your husband is in a position of authority as the head of your household, his position of authority, which I've already said, is to love and serve. It is not a position of ultimate authority. There is higher authority than your husband, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there may be times, and I have seen this over and over again, where the authority in the home is just rotten. It's just bad. It's wrong. It's sinful. And the wife in that marriage should seek help and be helped from outside of her marriage. She should have help, if necessary, from her father, from her grandfather, from brothers, from friends, and if not them, the elders of her church. There is a court of appeal outside your marriage. And I press that because I have sadly experienced over and over again only to find out that for years or decades, a wife suffered at the hands of a professing Christian abusive husband. Physically, verbally, emotionally, whatever. And she felt it was her role as a submissive wife to keep that locked up. And I know pastors who have told wives to just shut up and submit to their husbands. But that's not biblical submission. That is not what submission is. So please hear those clear distinctions. It is not silence. It is not giving in to every demand. It is not being a doormat. So what then is it a wife's submission to her husband? Remember, not submission to men in general. A wife's submission to her husband is an attitude that affirms the leadership of her husband. There are different ways we could word that, but let's just work with that. A wife's submission to her husband is an attitude that affirms the leadership of Her husband's submission is an attitude that affirms the leadership of your husband. It is not just an attitude, of course. It works its way out into behavior, obviously, but it begins in the heart. So a godly wife, she wants her husband to lead. A godly wife prays for her husband to lead. A godly wife encourages her husband to lead. A godly wife wants her husband to initiate. She wants him to take responsibility. She wants him to know where he's going and where the family is going. It is a leadership-affirming disposition. That's what this is. Now, ladies, be mindful of this. This will not be your natural instinct. Especially when he messes up. This will not be your natural instinct. Your natural instinct most likely will be to lead your husband. Either actively or passively. So there's actively leading him where it's just clear to everybody in the room. Who wears the pants is an expression we might use. It's obvious to everyone in the room who is the leader But then there are other ways that some experienced Christian women have learned to passively lead their husbands. And you wouldn't know it in a room, but you'd know it in their home. And the kids know it. And it's passive. And she leads him through her mood. And she leads him through manipulation. She leads him by being the emotional thermostat of the home. 
So be mindful that this may not be for you a natural instinct. That is actually this desire that says, I'm, I'm fine following my husband as long as he's going where I want him to go. That is a sinful instinct, and it's been around ever since the fall. It's been around ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. Remember, after Adam and Eve sinned, God came to Eve and he said in Genesis 3.16, these words, Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. That gets misunderstood. This is not desire for romance. This is desire for rule. It says your desire will be for your husband. It doesn't mean you're going to want to go on long walks with him on the beach. That's not what this desire is. This is desire to rule over him. In fact, it is the same word, the word desire, used in the very next chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, to describe sin's desire to rule over Cain. So there's going to be a resistance ever since the curse. A resistance. It will be difficult to submit. It will be difficult to follow his lead and to really want him to lead and to give him responsibility. And if you do disagree and you've expressed it and he still goes to support him, it will be very, very difficult. So, but nevertheless, it is your responsibility in your marriage. So, what submission is not? What submission is? Now, the beauty and glory of a wife's submission to her husband. What is the big deal about this? What This really gets to the why God wants it to work like this in the marriage. Again, this is all planned by God, of course. This is not an afterthought. God didn't create Adam and then say, oh, I've got to create another one. And then say, well, they can't both be in charge. Uh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. I guess you're, you're submitting. Uh, I already put him in authority, so you just get, there's nothing else left for you but to submit. That's, you know better. That is not, this is God's plan. And I could ask you this question, are God's plans ever arbitrary? Are they ever random? Uh, does God ever do anything without intention or purpose or meaning? And you know the answer to that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So too... When God has designed a wife to submit to her husband, he's after something bigger than a wife submitting to her husband. So that gets us to the beauty of this, the glory of this. I'll say it in a sentence and then we'll talk for a little bit. This kind of submission to a sinful husband, and I'm not talking about just certain husbands when I say that. That's all of us. We are all sinful husbands. This kind of submission to a sinful husband is only possible if you have a great God and faith in Him. This is connected, actually and profoundly, this is connected to our third point which was a godly wife is the glory of her husband. Here's how it's connected. A godly wife's submission to her husband is the most glorious thing she does. When it comes to displaying God, when it comes to displaying glory, when it comes to displaying the the beauty and the infinite worth of God, there is nothing she does that nails it more than her submission to her husband. If anything within marriage displays the infinite beauty and value of God, it is a wife's submission to her husband. And that again is because this kind of submission to a sinful husband is only possible if you have a great God and faith in him. So listen closely to first Peter chapter three, verses one through six. And you it may jump out at you without any comments. But listen to these verses again in light of what we're looking at. Likewise, wives. Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, with, within this godly woman is something beautiful. You heard that in these verses. Within this godly woman is something beautiful. There, there is glory within this godly woman. It is something that was within Sarah. Peter talks about. She had it. This glory, this beauty within. And it is, according to Peter, it is a gentle and quiet spirit, which simply means a soul that is at rest in God. A soul that, that, that relies on God, that trusts in God, that has faith in God, and so is at peace with God. And that rest in God shows itself. It displays itself through a wife's submission to her husband. So there's an inner beauty that God wants to get out, that God wants others to see. Glory is about being displayed, always. It's a display, glory is. And the way that glory, that beauty, that gentle and quiet spirit, the way that gets out, so that the world sees it and God is glorified is through, First Peter 3 says, a wife's submission to her husband. Sarah's submission to sinful Abraham. And we could just look at that for a while and think about Abraham. I mean, for some of you wives, you're thinking this is a really tall order considering who my husband is. You might be secretly thinking that right now. But, but most of you don't have a husband like Abraham. Abraham was great. Abraham was amazing. He was not a very good husband. I think we can say that. And the things that Abraham did to his wife, your husband probably has not done to you. Some of you are thinking about the stories right now. And you're thinking, thank God, my husband has not. My husband has not done that. My husband has not turned me over right, to some king or some ruler and lied about who I was to save his own skin. Sarah's submission, though, to sinful Abraham displays to the world and to God and to angels and to demons. Everyone's watching this. Her submission to sinful Abraham displays that God is so good and God is so satisfying that she can willingly submit to an imperfect man. Submission is lovely. It's not ugly. A wife's submission to her imperfect husband is overflow, you see, from her faith and trust in God. And it is beautiful. That is why Peter calls it what? Adornment. It is the kind of adornment a wife should primarily pursue. Now, if that's not enough to see why a wife's submission to her husband is beautiful and is glorious. If that's not enough, remember with me that in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, it is Christ's submission to God the Father that is so glorious. Willing submission to your husband, who is your equal, is glorious like Christ's submission to God the Father, who is his equal. 
Let me just read those verses to you. And I want you to think about your submission to your husband. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We've established as husbands and wives, you are equal. You're not called to submit to your husband because you're not his equal. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there's the submission. And then therefore, what follows that submission? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on... Here's the glory. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Willing submission to your husband, who is your equal is a picture, it is glorious like Christ's submission to God the Father who is His equal. It's beautiful. It's purposeful. It's meaningful. And people will, Matthew 5, see your good deeds and they will what? Praise your Father in heaven. What a good God you must have. I know your husband. <laughs> what an amazing, I don't know how you do it. And, and, and you respond to that with, God is so good. God is so good. Number six. Last two, quickly. A godly wife respects her husband. Ephesians 5.33 says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then 1 Peter 3.2 says, When they see your respectful and pure conduct. A lot of you have heard this. It's very interesting. In the Ephesians 5 passage, the husbands are called to love their wives, and the wives are called to respect their husbands. But husbands are not called to respect their wives and wives are not called to love their husbands. Now, don't take that too far. That we, of course, should love and respect one another, but this emphasis means something. It doesn't mean that okay, respect your husband. You don't need to love him. It doesn't mean love your wife, but don't worry about respecting her. That's not what Paul is saying, but this means something. He's emphasizing this for a reason. This is something, according to these verses, that, ladies, you must give to your husbands. You must give him respect. He will not be as helped by your love as he will by your respect. Think of it that way. He will not be as helped by your love as he will by your respect. And think of it this way. Respect is the, the sound submission makes. Submission enfleshed is respect. Submission manifested is respect. Incidentally, and this is very important, ladies, young ladies who are not yet married, Marry a man you can respect. Don't marry a man you can love. Or fix. Or repair. And this will happen. And young women will marry a man that they love so deeply. Do you respect him? Eh. I'm sure I will. No, you probably won't. And you're, you're setting yourself up for pain and heartache and sorrow. Marry a man that you can respect. This comes out in the way you speak to your husband, especially the way you speak about your husband to others, especially including your children and your friends. 
Respecting your husband comes out so significantly in how you speak about your husband to others and especially how you speak about your husband to your children, especially when he's not around, and how you speak to your friends, especially when he's not around. Do you sound respectful? Ask yourself, do you sound, maybe another word, grateful? Do you sound grateful and thankful for your husband? Some women might say this. I've heard this before. I'm sure you have. I refuse to respect my husband until he's respectable. I just can't do this. It would feel like lying. I would feel like a hypocrite. It'd be disingenuous. It's a matter of integrity for me. Which is probably not. Even even if your husband is not the most respectable husband, he should be respected by his wife. Don't be comparing him to other husbands. That's a terrible thing to do. Even if he's not the most respectable husband, he should be respected by his wife. He should be respected because if you do that, number one, you're obeying God. And number two, a wife rendering respect to an unrespectable husband is God's means of making him respectable. Doesn't mean he's always going to do that, but 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see their respectful and pure conduct. Please keep in mind things I've already said about what submission is not. Remember, this is different than saying respect your husband because he deserves it. That's not what God is saying. Any more than God is saying husbands love your wives because she deserves it. It's not a matter of what we deserve. This is about obedience to God. Not giving your husband what he deserves. And isn't it true, ladies, that sometimes you do not have a very lovely or lovable attitude? Isn't that the case sometimes? And don't you want your husband to love you unconditionally? You should. You should want that. He should do that. Likewise, you should respect your husband. So obviously don't make things up. But... Find things to respect in him and show him respect verbally. Maybe it just starts with, I'm so thankful you use a fork when you eat. (laughs) Number seven. Maybe you don't even have that. Number seven, finally, a godly wife (laughs) manages her household well. That's our last one. A godly wife manages her household well. First Timothy 5.14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Uh, Titus 2.4 says the, says the same thing. Oh. This is managing your household is, is very hard work. And the dynamics of that we can't get very specific with this because they're going to look very different. It's going to look the, who your husband is, what he does for a living, where you live, what your home is like. Do you have children? Are your children in the home? How many children? How old are your children? So managing the household is going to be, it's going to look different depending on all those different variables. But it is going to be an ongoing, difficult and hard work. Listen to this woman in Proverbs 31, verse 14 and 15 and 27, just a sampling. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So you've got to get maidens. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. That means she is a hardworking woman. She's not just sitting around getting her nails done. She is a hard, I mean, she's getting her nails done, but she's a hard working woman. She is busy managing her household and whatever that entails. Now, the Bible verse I read at first, 1 Timothy 5.14, where it says, manage 
their households. That word used, the word used for manage household, actually means despot or ruler. Literally, the wife is, and all the wives, it's funny, are grinning right now. <laughs> uh, yes. I like where this is going. Literally, according to 1 Timothy 5, she is the ruler of the home. She is the ruler of the home. She is the lady of the house. Lady is the, is the feminine for Lord. She is the lady of the house. She is the mistress of the house. That doesn't mean what you think. Mistress is the feminine for master. She's the master of the house. She's lord of the house. She's despot of the home. She is the ruler of the home. So if that sounds inconsistent, let me clarify. The husband is the head of the home. We've established that. He has authority over the home. But the wise husband delegates authority of and in the home to his wife and submits himself to it. This is exactly where the Proverbs 31 husband has confidence in his wife. He entrusts these things to her, Proverbs 31, 11. If he is the head of the home, she is the chief executive officer. He is the head of the home. She is the executive officer. Her desires, her rules, have the force of law and should be obeyed by all. If she's going to manage her household, you have to let her do that. So if she says, take your shoes off at the front door, the husband says, yes, dear. And if he sees the kids not taking their shoes off, he gets on them. Moms have laws like, here's some of the laws in our home. Keep your shoes off the couch. Don't jump on the couch. Don't reach across someone for food at the table. Do not season or put sauce on the food I cooked until you taste it. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> no, I cooked that. <laughs> Come to the dinner table with a shirt on. <laughs> we have five boys, so it's <laughs> we have to have rules like this. No nipples at the table. truth and everyone and everyone should should obey these rules in conclusion I got some new rules you're thinking in conclusion let me summarize a godly wife is precious and worthy of praise a godly wife is something you must become a godly wife is the glory of her husband she is a help to her husband she is in submission to her husband she respects her husband. She manages her household well. Remember number two. A godly wife is something you must become. Don't get discouraged. Don't You're missing it if you're discouraged. Don't be discouraged if you see places you need to grow. That's a good thing. Praise God. It's because of Him. If you see places you need to grow, excellent. Set your mind and heart to it. Ask God for the grace to do it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us all that we need to live this life in a way that makes much of you and pleases you. Lord, I pray for all of the women that you've blessed us with in this church. God, thank you for making us male and female. God, thank you for your glorious design. Thank you for telling us in your word of your intentions and your your purpose. And God, I pray that you would give all of the 
women here this morning, that you would give them the wisdom and the strength and in this world today, the courage that they need to be godly women. And then I I pray especially for our wives. God, thank you. Thank you for the godly wives that you have blessed so many men with in this church. Godly wives that we do not deserve. May we always be thankful for them and praising them and encouraging them and give our dear sweet wives everything that they need to honor you in the role that you've given them. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.